Good morning, MRCC. Yes, we've come to gather to worship our Father and His goodness. We praise Him for all that He's done. His presence is here. Let us offer Him our hearts and worship today. Come, let us worship Him. Just come and let us worship our King. Yes. Come, let us bow at His feet. Because He has done great things. Yes, we remember. We won't forget. Let's see what our Savior has done. See how His love overcome. Yes, He has done great things. Yes, He has. He has done great things. We offer Him praise. Oh, hero of heaven, you conquered the grave. You free every captive and break every chain, oh God. You have done great things. We dance in your freedom, awaken a life. Oh Jesus, our Savior, your name lifted high, oh God. You have done great things.
praise for all he's done, church. Hallelujah, Lord Jesus. Yes, Father, we worship you. Spirit and in truth, we celebrate the freedom in your presence. Grace is waiting. 
praise, Father. We thank you for your goodness, your life-changing ways, Lord. Father, only you have the power to change a heart, to change a life. We recognize you as this victorious champion, not only in our lives, but this broken world. God, have your way. We stand before you in humble adoration of your mighty ways, God. We look to you and pray. I've tried so hard to see it. Took me so long to believe it. That you choose someone like me to carry your victory. Perfection could never earn it. You give what we don't deserve it. You take the broken things, raise them to glory. Sing to them now with our heart. You are my champion. Giants fall when you stand undefeated. Every battle you've won, that's right. I am who you say I am. You crown me with confidence. I am seated in the heavenly place undefeated. The one who has conquered it all Because our victory is his victory, amen Now I can finally see it You're teaching me how to receive it So let all the striving cease Oh, this is my of confidence is assurance that we've been adopted to a righteous life with our amazing God. He gives us new life, a new identity, a new heart. It's available to every heart in this room right now, and it's all by His blood. This identity is available to you. It's by your blood the battle's won. You give power to overcome. That Jesus has given me It's by your grace It's heart of grace Of me his own I'll praise the one Who called me home This is the identity Yes That Jesus has It's by your blood, Lord Thank you. 
being on this earth would experience the power and the freedom of your presence in worship. That every heart would come to know Jesus. So as a prayer for worship, let's declare these words that all the earth shout your praise. And all the earth will shout your praise. Our hearts will cry. These bones will sing. Praise. says they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength they shall mount up with wings as eagles they shall run and not be weary they shall walk and not faint the Holy Spirit says you will find your strength in worshiping me in surrendering yourself to worship I will meet you there and I will renew you. And your spirit will be strong as it was in days of old. I am your strength. Receive from me your strength. God, we thank you for your word this morning. We worship you together. We celebrate you together. We thank you that though our time in the wilderness may be long, yet you bring us out of it into the promised land, into freedom, into victory, into rest and peace. And we praise you for that. We thank you for that this morning. Be glorified in your church. And friends, as brothers and sisters in Christ, let us pray together just the way that Jesus taught us to. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, 
as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. We serve a living God, church. A God who's right here and right now, and a God who's forever. It's great to see you. Welcome this morning. What a beautiful morning it is. Does it feel to anybody else like Easter was like a month ago, even though it was last Sunday? It kind of feels like that. Take a moment, would you, and greet one another. Make sure everybody around you feels welcome. Would you do that? Well, good morning, church. What a glorious morning it is out there, too. What a fantastic morning. And you probably heard they're saying 73 by Friday. Did you hear this? Yeah, my wife is breaking out her gardening stuff, I think. I think we know what's going to happen next week. I'm, I'm kind of not looking forward to next week, though, uh, because number one, for the first time in my life, I got called to jury duty next week, so... Not looking forward to that, although they, they tell me they never pick a pastor to put on the jury, so uh, I don't know if that's because they think we're too dumb or what, but they don't uh, generally do that. And then I get, my, I get vaccinated on Wednesday as well, so, uh, you know, kind of cross that hurdle and have the whole experience this week and get it over with. Um, it's great to see you. Welcome this morning. And uh, gosh, a beautiful... Uh, Easter weekend last week. About 1,300 people worshiped with us last week, and God touched a lot of lives. Yeah, and God touched a lot of lives and fantastic stuff. And, you know, I don't know if you're aware of what happens around here on Wednesday nights, but I just, I get, I get teary sometimes on Wednesday night because, you know, there'll be 120 teenagers here in the sanctuary, and, and then across the campus between Forged and Impact, there'll be another 120 kids. And it's just amazing. I walk away and I think, wow, God. And so to everybody who serves in all those ministries, uh, by the way, a couple of weeks ago, uh, you know, not that, that every night in youth isn't good, but a couple of weeks ago, a pretty powerful move of God. 26 teenagers came forward during that service and gave their lives to Christ. It's pretty cool stuff. Pretty amazing stuff. And so what's, what's happening there is beautiful, really beautiful, and huge thanks to everybody who does all the work that makes those things happen. Uh, that, that matters a lot. A um, couple of quick announcements before we open God's Word this morning. One is that tomorrow night 
is Sisters of Strength, our monthly ladies fellowship dinner. That'll happen here at 6.30 in the sanctuary. Uh, you're invited to be a part of that course. There's no cost. Bring a friend. We'll have a terrific time. Uh, I, I've actually been invited to the ladies dinner tomorrow night. Now, I, I'm not sure quite how to feel about that, uh, but I've been invited because they've asked me to teach on something very specific. So uh, I'll be with you tomorrow, although I will be dressed as a man in this day and age. Maybe I need to make that clear, but uh, tomorrow night, Sisters of Strength. And then uh, as well this afternoon, uh, Royal Rangers is kicking off. Uh, our local chapter of Royal Rangers, a number of men have been working hard to prepare for that. Uh, it's kind of a, a, like a Boy Scouts uh, type of an experience, only it's uh, centered in Jesus. And that's going to kick off this afternoon at 2 o'clock. Parents, if you're interested in that, they'll be meeting here in the foyer. Uh, they're all ready to go with that, done all the preparation, put together all the tools and resources. So that's right around the corner. And then as well, we're getting ready in our young adults ministry to put together plans for our, our home groups, our summer groups, uh, summer home groups. And so if you're interested in hosting, uh, check with uh, Pastor Darius or Pastor Brent. Uh, those plans are being made, uh, and you know, it's coming faster than we think. Uh, although yesterday, my, my wife and I walked downtown, and it was gorgeous, uh, you know, sun shining outside, and then on the way back, it, it hailed on us <laughs> with like a blue sky. I, it was kind of bizarre, uh, but anyway... Grab your Bible, if you wouldn't open it, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to continue our journey through 1 Thessalonians. We're actually going to take a big chunk this morning, uh, the end of chapter 2 and, and most of chapter 3. And remember what we said is that part of growing up as a Christian is receiving God's word on its own terms. And that's really at the center of what the Apostle Paul is going to talk to us about this morning. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning uh, with verse 13. And, and let me ask you this. Raise your hand if you would call yourself a skeptic, a person who's skeptical. Raise your hand. You know, some of us are, some of us aren't. I, I definitely am and always have been. Skeptics are people who question everything. And, you know, that can be irritating sometimes. They're sort of the opposite of people who are always fun and easygoing. Skeptics can be irritating until you're dealing with something that really matters. You know, who do you want to inspect the airplane that you're going to fly on? Somebody who's fun and easygoing or somebody who's a skeptic? You know, it kind of uh, changes. You heard about the married couple who worked for the circus, and they wanted to adopt a child. But, uh, you know, the adoption counselor was pretty skeptical, given what they did. She said, do you really think that traveling with the circus is a good environment to raise a child? Yes, we do, they said. We have a fully equipped state-of-the-art nursery in our trailer. We're ready for this. She said, I see. Well, what about the child's education? You're going to be traveling all the time. They said, we've hired an experienced tutor to provide the best education that money can buy. The counselor was still skeptical. She said, okay, what about the child's medical needs? They said, hey... Our circus has a, a full-time nurse practitioner with a pediatric specialty. She travels with us year-round. We've got our bases covered. Well, the counselor smiled. It sounds like maybe you passed the test. Were you think of adopting a little boy or a little girl? And Dad said, it doesn't matter as long as they fit into the canon. That's what we're looking for. You know what I mean? That's what we're really after. <laughs> Either is good as long as they've... Sometimes being skeptical is a good thing. And actually, God wants to talk to us about that because this is never more true than when it comes to our faith or more specifically when it comes to our ideas about God. 
when it comes to your ideas about who God is, about what he does, about how to know him. We, we live in a world that is more full of information than at any time in history. And the ability to tell the difference between what is true and what isn't has never been more important. Jesus knows this. He knows that Adam and Eve weren't oppressed. They were deceived. Take that in for a moment. Adam and Eve weren't oppressed. They were deceived. And Jesus said that the main strategy of the devil is deception. It's lies and and even more specifically, half-truths. Being a skeptic is about sorting out the half-truths about God from the whole truths about him. Jesus was very specific about this. Here's what he says to us, Matthew chapter 7. He says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Or to put it another way, they don't look dangerous, but they are profoundly dangerous. In a very real way, Jesus is saying to us, be a skeptic. Be somebody who questions things that you hear or read or even experience. Be a skeptic. To the believers at the church in Corinth, the Apostle Paul said this in chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians. He said, I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus, they use the name, but it's not the Jesus that we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it. In other words, Paul says to the Corinthians, I'm worried about you because you're not skeptical enough. You don't question enough things. Now he's going to contrast their lack of skepticism with the healthy skepticism of the believers at Thessal Thessalonica. We're going to see that in just a moment. But here's the, here's the thought I want us to begin with. When we're skeptical, we take things seriously. The Bible tells us about the believers at a church in a place called Berea, and they're commended because they, they tested everything. They, they heard what was said, they searched the scriptures, and they were skeptical and questioned what was being said. And as a consequence, the Bible says they were of more noble character. And God wants to speak to us about that this morning. When it comes to your ideas about God, are you skeptical? Are you careful? Do you question everything? to discern what's false from what's true. Remember, Adam and Eve weren't oppressed. They were deceived. And God wants to speak to us about that this morning. So 1 Thess uh, Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning with verse 13, here, here's what Scripture says. Paul's writing to the believers, and he says, We thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it actually is the word of God which is at work in you who believe. Well, that's a mouthful. We're going to dwell on that in a moment. 
For you, brothers, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ. You suffered from your own countrymen, the same things those churches suffered from the Jews. We're going to continue into that next section. But here again how he begins. We thank God continually because when you receive the word, You accepted it not as the word of men, but as it actually is the word of God, which is at work in you believe. Two two ideas, front and center here. One is accepting the word of God as the word of God. And then second, it goes to work in you. It works in us from the inside out. Let me just challenge us straight up this morning. Have you accepted the word of God for what it is? Is scripture just a, a, another voice in a cacophony of voices that you listen to? Do you consider it to be just one piece of the puzzle of who God is and what he does? Or do you consider it the ball game? Lots of people consider scripture to be less than it is. Treat it as less than the actual word of God. The Thessalonians, by contrast, received it for what it is. You know, speaking of God's word, the scriptures, Jesus said this. He said, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And and he said this because life, and, and in your Bible, when you see the phrase eternal life, that's the Greek word zoe. Sometimes you'll just see the word life. That's the Greek word bios. There's a distinction between just breathing and living. And and Jesus says, real living comes through the word of God, through hearing it, through experiencing it, through learning it, through practicing it. That's what brings life to us. We are souls made to live in hope and faith and in the knowledge of God, the true knowledge of God. And when we accept God's word for what it is, we experience its power. That's why Paul says that Thessalonians, he he knew that God's word was at work in them who believe. You know, just in a really practical, sobering, everyday way, let me me challenge you to evaluate how, how does your life reflect the reality that your Bible is the word of God? You know, we just get so distracted from that sometimes. We start listening more to our music or our movies or our neighbors or the internet than we are listening to God's word. Paul commends the Thessalonians because they were different. The believers at Thessalonica had taken the gospel seriously. And as a consequence, what it said became authoritative in their life. Lots of people define word of God differently. They think of the word of God being always spectacular, a voice from the sky, a miracle, an inexplicable coincidence. But God says that his word is a human being named Jesus. And Hebrews chapter one and two say that everything he says and does is infinitely more significant, infinitely more powerful, infinitely greater than anything supernatural that angels do. It's the whole point of the first two chapters of Hebrews. Hey, listen to Jesus. He's the word of God. How would you feel, mom and dad, if if your kids wouldn't listen to you or take you seriously unless everything you said came with a soundtrack or special effects or fancy graphics? I mean, how how would you feel? You would say, no, honey, you got to listen to what I'm saying here. It's more important than all that. In the same way, God says to us, hey, receive my word for what it is, like the Thessalonians did. 
Scripture emphasizes this over and over again. Peter writes over in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20, Above all, Greg, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. In other words, this book is supernatural. It, it didn't just come from authors, human authors. It came through human authors, but it was inspired and authored by the Holy Spirit. Paul says the same thing to the young pastor Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.16. He says, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. In other words, this is no ordinary book. And when you accept it, you begin to take it seriously. When you recognize that it's the word of God. You know, there's a whole different attitude that comes when you start to take th things seriously. Somebody came up to me at a church picnic once a couple of years ago. Remember those? Remember church picnics? We're going to have those this summer. We're going to have a bunch of them. They came to me and they said, hey, your wife wants to talk to you. <laughs> oh, boy, you know. Uh, all of a sudden, I'm serious in that moment. Um, in fact, she wanted to talk to me about something silly, but I've learned to take it seriously when somebody says your wife wants to talk to you. Kind of like you do when you go to the doctor for a cancer screening, you know, when you walk in there, you're serious. All the pretending, all the carrying on, all the macho, all that stuff just kind of fades away. And you say, okay, tell me the truth, doc. Uh, I'm here to hear it as it is. Now, friends, understand, to be sure, God speaks to us far beyond Scripture. He does. The Holy Spirit does that in a zillion ways, and our Bible teaches us about that and tells us about that, whether it's, it's through the revelation of his creation that we see explained in Romans chapter 1, whether it's through the power of the Holy Spirit and words of knowledge and words of prophecy and messages in tongues. And we, we, God speaks to us in many, many ways, but at the foundation of everything that he says to us is the scripture that undergirds it. And in fact, that's how we discern what we think he's saying to us. I love the story that C.S. Lewis tells about meeting a Royal Air Force officer in North Africa during World War II. And the officer uh, said to him, you know, all your talk about theology and who God is and what God wants. He says, it, it all seems like a big nothing to me. He said, I, I've walked in the deserts of Africa at midnight by the ocean and seen the stars. And I know what God sounds like. <laughs> and Lewis famously replied to him, he said, absolutely, I agree with you 100%. And if all you ever want to do is walk on the beach, that's enough. But what if you want to cross that ocean and sail somewhere else? What if you want to navigate through that desert? Now you're going to have to start taking all those things on another level. Now the stars become the means to navigation. Now everything that you're experiencing becomes just the beginning, not the end. The word of God, when you accept it as such, friends, hear me now, is powerful in you in ways far beyond you. Paul says to the Thessalonians, you accepted the word of God as it is, and it is at work in you. You know, there, there are times when, when we feel like we, we, we can't overcome ourselves on our own. Maybe it's your temper or your tongue. Or, or your lust, or your fear, or your greed, or whatever it is. Sometimes you feel like you can't overcome it, and a kind of helplessness creeps into a, the basement of your spirit, and you start to say to yourself, man, I, I can't do this, I can't overcome this. God says, I can when you let my word go to work in you. 
that's when you begin to experience the power to overcome those things. You know, I'm an idiot. You already know that. When I was diagnosed almost 11 years ago now with MS, you know, my first response after I kind of absorbed the shock of it there in the doctor's office, my first response was I went home, you know, I said to my wife, okay, we're going to overcome this. I'm going to overcome it with running, with working out at the gym. I'm going to overcome it by adjusting my diet. We're going to beat this thing. It took me about six months of doing that to realize that I didn't have enough strength on my own to overcome it. And the doc came and he said, hey, Greg, I want to involve you in a, a brand new medical trial. I want my MS doc up in Seattle says, hey, I want to give you this stuff called Jeleni. It's brand new. Nobody's ever used it before. You'll be the first generation going on it. But we think this has power to stop MS in its tracks. And you know what, friends? 11 years later, I haven't gotten any worse. Because something in me has more power than I do. And in the same way, God's word has more power than you do. And Paul writes to the Thessalonians, he says, man, I just rejoice over you because you understand that. And the Holy Spirit this morning asks us, do you understand that? Will you let his word enter you by accepting it as it actually is, the word of God? Again, scriptures emphasizes this repeatedly in Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Faith comes from hearing and the message is heard through the word of Christ. Peter writes, 1 Peter chapter 2, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. I'm sorry, that was James. Peter says, like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Again, it's a reference to the word of God. Lots of people, almost everybody at some time in their life, says, God, I want to hear from you. I need to hear from you. But far fewer are willing to listen when he speaks. Paul says to the Thessalonians, hey, I rejoice in you because you are. That's what you're doing. Now, friends, understand, when God's word is at work in you, it becomes obvious outside of you. Paul goes on, verses 14 and following. Listen to what he says. He says, for you, brothers, you accepted the word of God as it is. It went to work in you. And you, brothers, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. Circle that word, imitators. You suffered from your own countrymen the same things those churches suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord and the prophets and also drove us out. He's talking about the Jews at that time and place. He's not talking about Jews in all times and places. They displease God and are hostile to all men in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles. Speaking what? The word of God. In this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit and the wrath of God has come upon them at last. He says, because the word went to work in you, you became imitators. In other words, your life changed. Your life changed dramatically. You know, it is through imitating that we change. You started imitating when you were a tiny child. You watched mom and dad. Maybe you watched your brothers and sisters. Maybe you watched the dog. I hope you didn't watch the cat. But you started imitating them. And as a consequence, you began to grow up. Again, I love the image C.S. Lewis paints. He says, you know, uh, children dress up like adults, and that's part of their becoming adults. They begin to imitate. In the same way, as we receive God's word and begin to imitate grown-up believers, mature believers, we grow up. And Paul says this imitation by the Thessalonians was very, very specific. It was marked by, first of all, a willingness to be persecuted. 
Let me say that again. It was marked by a willingness to be persecuted. The scripture tells us that that's what the Holy Spirit does to us when we become believers. Hebrews chapter 10, Paul uh, writes to the believers and says, remember how you joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property when you were new believers. He says, I, I want you to feel that again. Acts chapter 5 tells us that when the early church was imprisoned and beaten, the believers rejoiced that they had been counted worthy of suffering for the name. The Thessalonians were transformed by the word of God in them to the degree that they were willing to accept persecution and suffering because they knew that through it, their message would be heard even more loudly. You can always tell that somebody hasn't yet grown up in Jesus when they're unwilling to be persecuted, when they're unwilling to be oppressed. But real, mature believers experienced both those things. He says, you were willing to do that and you suffered that. And then he also says, you, you, you grew a family love for one another. Look at verses 19 and 20. He says, for what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and our joy. You know, I've been a pastor now for almost 35 years. And over the years, uh, I see these people that I want to be like. I bump into them sometimes. Often they're quite a bit older They've walked with Jesus for a long time, and they've walked with him for so long that they have begun to develop this real and genuine love for God's church. No matter how broken she is, no matter how far short of their expectations she falls, no matter how many imperfections mark her, they have just fallen in love with the church of Jesus. Sometimes you'll, Ron and I, when we go on vacation, we always go to the nearest church on Sunday that we're to wherever we are. We just pick geographically the closest one. And, you know, some of them are, are, are in deep decline. Their best years are behind them. And yet sometimes in those churches, you find the most amazing yeah. people who, who are just so in love with God and with the body of Christ that they would never think of being any less than who they are. Paul says that's what the word did to the Thessalonians. That's what it had done to him and his relationship. They looked at one another as their family. That's what God wants to achieve in me and in you. Love for one another, friends, isn't natural. It's supernatural. It's something God does by the power of his spirit. Matt Cole of Palm City, Florida, shared a classified ad he spotted in his local newspaper that speaks volumes about how hard it is to love one another. The classified ad was simple. It said this, wanted to buy playpen, cradle, high chair, car seat. Also two single beds. <laughs> Think about it for a moment. It'll come to you. Love for one another is hard. We need power to pull it off, but it happens to everyone who lets the Word of God go to work inside of them. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, that the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. It's a fancy way of saying that God goes to work in us in the deepest inner parts of us through His Word. And that that whole process happens when you and me accept his word as it is. Not merely the word of men, but the word of God. It works down at the bottom of who we are, where everything is rooted. 
When I worked as a service writer at a Chevy dealership, I learned how to ask the questions that help a person move from describing the symptoms their car is having to what's actually going on. And, and after a while, I got to the point where in like six, seven questions, I could pretty much figure out what was wrong with your car just by asking a sequence of questions. The Word of God will help you do that with your own soul, with your own heart and mind. But it can't, it won't, if you never accept it for what it is. Let me challenge us again as we turn into the home stretch this morning. Have you accepted the word of God as it actually is? From God. If you do, certain patterns will emerge in your life. You'll listen to it long term. It'll just become part of the rhythm of your life. You'll listen to it submissively. In other words, when it tells you something you don't want to hear, like we talked about a couple weeks ago, you'll say, okay... Yeah, that's not welcome, but I realize, God, it's good, and I realize you're speaking truth and love to me, and so I'm going to receive that, and I'm going to adjust myself to it. So many people try to adjust God's word to what they want. It's a fool's errand. It'll lead you nowhere. But when you let the Bible contradict you, wow, there's power. And then you'll begin to do what it says, and that's where the reality comes full circle. Once you start doing what it says, boy, then you start experiencing that power in overt ways. That's why the Bible says, be transformed, be made completely new by the renewing of your mind, by feeding on God's word. Now, the last thing that Paul says will happen to you and me when we accept the word of God for what it is, is that we'll find real courage, real guts, real faith. So Paul writes at the beginning of chapter 3, when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens, and we sent Timothy, who is our brother and God's fellow worker in spreading the gospel, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. See, that's the challenge that we all face. When things get hard, we tend to get discouraged. Paul says, we sent Timothy to you to work against that, to mitigate against that, to bring you back into the truth of what the Word has been saying all along. And that's his emphasis in the next verse. You know quite well that we were destined for these things. Why? We told you that that's what God says. And it turned out that way. In fact, when, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted, and it turned out that way, as you know. In other words, Paul says, because of God's word, the prospect of trials and hardships don't throw me off. I've already learned to expect them because God's telling me they're going to come. The Christian faith, friends, isn't the secret way to avoid hard times. That's one of the biggest lies of our time. It's not that. You know, sometimes God supernaturally is, rescues us from hard times. Often, he does not. It is the way to strengthen us to overcome them and to bring glory to him in them. When hard, time comes, when hard times come, it makes all the difference how you see them. That's why James says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. We had a memorial service here on Friday evening for Debbie Garland, dear sister, member of our fellowship. Her husband is Patrick, still with us. And during that memorial service, a close friend of hers shared how in Christ they walked together through that long year and a half of struggle with the cancer. And how Debbie again and again said, you know, I know God can heal me. I'm praying for God to heal me. I also know he might not because that's what his word teaches me. I also know that my healing might come at the end of this story when I go to glory. 
And as a consequence, her testimony from start to finish through her last part of her journey home was one of faith. She had listened to God for so long that her trial and her hardship couldn't throw her off. I remember when I was in the Marines, they, they came to us one day and told us that today we were going to be tear gassed. <laughs> they were going to put us all in a big room and tear gas us. I thought, I don't see how this is productive. I don't see why this is a good thing. Why, why are we doing this? You know, and, and they, they explained it to us. They said, it won't kill you. They said, we're telling you it's going to be pretty miserable, <laughs> but it won't kill you. And they said, here's the reason we're doing it. If the enemy uses it against you and you've already experienced it, you won't be afraid of it. You won't be overcome. So they herded us all into that room, and then they tear-gassed us. And it's pretty nasty, man. Everything in your sinuses comes out of your nose and throat, and you're snotting all over the place, and your eyes shut, and you can't function, and it hurts. And then you go, gosh, I didn't die. And then they would make us, you know, use our weapons and do elementary military tactical things in that condition. And when you come out of that, you go, well, that sucks, but... It didn't kill me, and I'm not afraid of it anymore. To this day, when I see on the news somebody's being tear gassed, I think, well, you know, it's not really the end of the world. <laughs> you think it is because you haven't been. <laughs> and, and God wants to build that kind of courage in you and in me about much more serious things. Jesus is blunt about this, friends. If we listen to him, we will hear him saying, in this world you'll have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. I've overcome it. There are so many things God says to us about the hard times in our lives, but most people never hear it because they never accepted the word of God for what it is. Jesus painted a powerful picture of this. He said, either you'll build your house on the rock or you'll build it on the sand. Either way, a storm's coming. The question is, what are you built on? God wants you to be so sure of him that you fear nothing. That happens when you listen to him when we accept the word of God for what it is. And it's not just in silly things like tear gassing. Let me finish with a story this morning. On May 17th, 2008, something horrible happened. Much-loved Christian musician Stephen Curtis Chapman and his wife Mary Beth were at home with their family on an ordinary sunny Saturday. Their 17-year-old son was leaving to meet some friends like he'd done many times. But this time, as he backed the family's SUV out of the driveway, he didn't see his five-year-old sister, Maria. And he hit her, and he killed her. You know, as a parent, there's nothing worse than losing a child. And yet for the Chapmans, they had to deal not only with that horror, but then with the horror and grief of their son, just a teenager, who was in the middle of it. Can you imagine having your guts ripped out like that and then still needing to be there for your son? Stephen said it made him a skeptic. He had to go back and reconsider everything he'd ever said or sung about God and about his Christian faith and about the Bible he had always believed and the trust in God that he had always felt. But he goes on to say, that all that skepticism only made his faith more real and deeper. He said, I approach the Bible now like I never did before, even with my best intentions. 
And some of the cartoon shortcuts and quick fix slogans that I'd heard all my life went out the window like they needed to. But what was left was deeper and stronger than ever before. That's why Paul says he rejoices in the Thessalonians. The Holy Spirit says to you today, will you accept the word of God for what it is? Will you listen to what God is saying to you? He, he wants to have a dialogue with you for a lifetime. That's why the book's big. And the more time you spend in there, the more you hear his heart, the more you understand who he is and where he's coming from. Maybe you've drifted into a phase in your life where you think you know it all. You don't. You don't. All believers learn for a lifetime. Because God is infinite. And if that's you, he wants to call you back to that devotion to your Bible. To letting it contradict you. To letting it remind you. To letting it encourage you. To letting it go to work in you. Because that's where the power, that's where the power really is. Would you bow your heads with me this morning and let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your word this morning. They that wait upon the Lord, you say, shall renew their strength. And God, some of us have drifted into a habit of not waiting anymore. And then we wonder why we grow weak in our spirits. You call us back, Lord, to your word. To the patient listening to what you say that, that turns loose your power in us. God, help us to hear that call this morning. Help us to remember that listening to you isn't about what gives us a, a warm fuzzy or what makes us excited. It's about your word day in and day out. It gives us courage and that transforms us. Help us to hear your call back to those simple things, we pray. We thank you for being with us here this morning. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me, church? You know, I confess, there's a part of me that wanted to hurry up and get to chapter 4 and chapter 5 <laughs> because what we're going to be talking about in the next few weeks is so rich. But God said, no, Greg, we don't get there ready to receive it unless we hear what I'm saying here and now. That's what God says to you and me as well. Now may the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit go with you throughout this week. Go with God, tell someone you love them. Have a great afternoon, friends.